Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Welcome to the Ashto ETAP Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. This month, we're pleased to be joined by Ed Sniffen, the Deputy Director of the Highway Division of Hawaii DOT. We're going to be focusing today on resilience and what it means for Hawaii DOT. Ed, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Bernie. Why don't we start off with you telling us a bit about how Hawaii DOT approaches the idea of resilience. Absolutely. I mean, to talk about how we approach it now, kind of talk about how we approach it in the past. For us, uh, resilience has always been our ability to respond to and recover from a disaster or any disruptor to the system. Um, because of our definition and, and the way we operated, we were extremely reactive. We did pretty good at our emergency management, but because of the way we operated, we didn't plan for these events. We didn't look at the adaptation to things that are coming. We just made sure that we set up our responses. Extremely inefficient. We spent a lot of money on the emergency management piece and not enough time making sure that we planned for these events. Now we're looking at our resilience as our ability to plan for and, and, and operational adaptations into our system to ensure that we minimize the resources we need to recover and respond. Huge difference in the way we approach these disasters, ensuring that we're planful up front, knowing that we'll have to respond at the back end, but our efficiency rate and the resources we need to respond are much, much less. And of course, because of that, the disruptions to the system and to the public we serve is much, much less as well. As you talk about organizational resilience, as we're recording this and for the foreseeable future, we're in the midst of a pandemic. How has that affected your organizational resilience and how do you maintain that during COVID-19? You know, to tell you the truth, COVID-19 makes it really easy for Hawaii DOT to operate right now. In the past, when we started looking at the things we needed to do to get the system up in the state of repair we wanted, to service the capacity we need for Hawaii, and to make sure that we service the public appropriately, we had to fight through times where we have to balance off impacts to traffic versus the improvements that we're going to need. At this time during this pandemic, a couple of things come together. First, the traffic is much lighter than normal, allowing us more time to do the improvements on the system that we need. And second, because of the governor's emergency order, it allows us to move forward a lot quicker than we normally would. So actually, during these emergency times, um, our division is a lot better able to focus on all the improvements that are necessary. Now, that being said, um, the disruptors to the system are not no longer on the system themselves. It's in our operations, how we get together to move the state forward without getting each other sick. Ensuring that we social distance required us to change our operations and make sure our people stay separated from each other. Our crews that normally worked next to each other are separated out, so our communications protocols have to be much, much better. In the end, this COVID situation is going to make things way better for us. We've been trying to push for telework since 2016. We had to change right away. We're pushing for um, operation efficiencies in our processes for a long time, not only within DOT, but outside of it as well. This event required it. So there were significant changes and adjustments that were necessary because of this event that's going to service us in the long term. So what we're doing is taking this event, taking the, the information that we learned from it, putting it back into our operations and ensuring that we move forward like this in the future. Telework is always going to be a part of the DOT now. 
operational efficiencies that when we could strip away a lot of the processes that were unnecessary to government, all gone now. And we keep looking for those opportunities as we go forward. You mentioned communication protocols. Telework is obviously one of those, but are there other communication protocols that have had to be created or adjusted during this pandemic? Yes. The difficulty for us during this pandemic was our communications between us and other departments. When we set up our departments in Hawaii, everybody was stovepiped. Our financial system was DOT's financial system. Our planning information was DOT's planning information. Our databases that service all of our vehicle owners, everybody who's registered into the system, were DOTs alone. Now, because of this pandemic, we're sharing that information out across the board. Our tax department is using our, our information to make sure that they can do checks on systems. Our labor department is using our information to ensure that when they start paying on unemployment, we get rid of the risk of people trying to defraud the system. And when we start working with those that pay our bills, our budget and finance department, we used to take about three months to get through from the time that we issue our contracts to the time that the governor approves our appropriations, about three months. Now, it happens in a matter of a week. So all of those communications that we did in the past that were still piped out are all reconnected across the board, mainly because we had to. We couldn't go into in-person anymore. We got rid of paper. Everything's a lot more efficient now. When it comes to natural disasters, that's something Hawaii has quite a bit of experience with. In fact, just recently, it looked as if Hurricane Douglas was going to make a direct hit on the islands before veering away and delivering just a glancing blow. Over the course of several months in 2018 and 2019, you faced flooding, landslides, and volcanic eruptions. How do you prepare for events like that, especially volcanic eruptions, which I would think are somewhat difficult to anticipate? Absolutely. It's kind of interesting that all those events happening at the same time, we never could have predicted. We could have predicted each of those different events impacts to our system. The storms themselves, when they came in, they flooded the same areas we normally would see. They caused landslides in the same zones that were vulnerable in the past. So we should have predicted the areas that would have been hit on the north shore of Kauai, on the east side of Oahu, um, and on the, the Big Island as well. For the volcano, you can never predict exactly when it's going to erupt. But we should have known that um, there was a potential occurrence in that area. We called that area the lower rift zone for a reason. These are different events that we couldn't have predicted on the timing, but we should have predicted on the impacts and we should have prepared for. And we can debate back and forth with our community members on whether or not we responded appropriately. But overall, we can all agree that maybe we shouldn't have permitted construction of residences and businesses within that lower East Rift zone. Kind of goes back to our thought process on resilience. We built ourselves to respond to emergencies, but not necessarily to plan for them to move it forward. In the future, as we go forward, we know that the lower East Rift zone is a potential hazard now. Uh, we set up protocols to ensure that from the DOT perspective, all of our roadways stay intact and we keep continuity of the system throughout. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to allow an area to get covered by lava because it, we, we cannot stop that from happening. But we can make sure we plan for three different alternate routes that we would stay in front of any emergency that occurs in that area. For large storms that came through with Hurricane Lane that flooded different areas, we have the vulnerable points that we know are on the system. We make sure those points are all cleared out um, and the drainage in those areas are working to the best extent possible. And before storms come through, we systematically try to reinforce, harden, or protect slopes prior to the storms coming through. 
But that's how we're trying to deal with it to ensure that in the future, when these events do come, and hopefully not at all at the same time, we're better prepared for them. Back in December 2019, Hawaii DOT kicked off a vulnerability study. Can you tell us what a vulnerability study is and the kinds of things that you're looking at? Well, that study was, was really important for us, knowing that we did some pre-planning in the past that never panned out. I'll take you back to 2003 when we kicked off our shoreline protection program. We did a study throughout the islands to find out where we were vulnerable for shoreline erosion, day-to-day shoreline erosion that are impacting the, the highways and could potentially impact uses of the highway in the future. In 2006, we finished that study. In general, we've not done anything with that study since. In 2007, we kicked off a rockfall hazard program. By 2010, we finished it. And in general, the number one priority on that system still is the number one priority till today. We never really did a good job of looking at those programs and seeing um, that they're priorities that we must address. The problem is we're looking at those programs separate from everything else. So we kicked off this vulnerability study to ensure that we looked at all stresses of the program, all areas that we're vulnerable at, at risk from, so we can measure it all together with our normal program, with our, our normal paving programs, our normal bridge repair programs, and the like, and our capacity programs. We tie it all together to ensure that everybody sees them in the same vein. That was the intent of the vulnerability study. We move it forward, we find those stressors, we find the things we need to fix, and we prioritize it across the system to ensure that everybody sees it. Then operationalize how we move forward on it all together. We've heard of the idea of managed retreat in terms of resilience efforts. Tell us a bit about that strategy and what kind of factors you consider when you're making decisions that involve that. Well, I think the big piece of that is going to be our vulnerability study. Um, The kickoff to the vulnerability study was to find those areas where we're at risk. Fully understanding that just looking at the system, our transportation system alone is not enough. So the big piece of that vulnerability study was not just to move forward on the DOT side, but was to bring in those external stakeholders, our Department of Health, our Corps of Engineers, our planning departments from different um, agencies, and of course, our Office of Planning from Governor's side, because our transportation system is not there just for itself, but to make sure we connect up where people are and where they want to go. So the big piece of that is that land use component. We wanted to make sure we had that. And that's important because as we go forward, when we start looking at managed retreat or bringing our system that's vulnerable to sea level rise away from that stressor or that risk, you actually need to really look at what the future land use is going to be. A case in point to that, on our north shore of Oahu, we have Kamehameha Highway. It is normally eroded on the shoreline area. We need to protect it annually to ensure that that roadway is not impacted. We know based on our sea level rise reports that have been completed two years ago, that that roadway is gonna be inundated by water in the next 50 years. Now, we could knee jerk right now and say, we need to move that portion of the highway inland away from the shoreline. If we did that, that 10 mile segment would cost about a billion dollars. This is basic math for us. If we look at the geometrics of the system as it is right now, 90% of that roadway is at grade, 10% is on on structures. If we move it inland behind the houses in that area that we serve, you look at the terrain, about 90% will be on structure and about 10% will be at grade. The cost is tremendous to move it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it if we still have people to serve in that area. 
But at this time, the community we serve is at the road level or below it. And based on our reports, those communities will be inundated by that same sea level rise event that the road will be inundated by. So in general, I got to think already, if that road is not going to be there because of sea level rise, is that community still going to be there? And if not, do I really need that road? If it is, is the road a best way to service that? Is there other ways for us to do it? Could we service by ferry or anything else? And I'm not saying that's the best way, but we got to look at these different alternatives before we start knee-jerking to pull everything away from the ocean. So for us, when we start looking at this managed retreat, we got to look at the near term, how we keep continuing to service the communities that we already have. But look at the midterm. What is the best resolution to make sure we bridge between what we're doing now and into the future? And of course, we've got to look at the long term to see, really, is there a community that should be served in that area and what the best way to do it is? Which is why, bringing it all back together, this resiliency study that we're doing um, is to make sure we bring all the stakeholders together so we have these conversations now. So we make the best use of all the resources we have as we go forward. When you talk about resilience and about sea level changes, Hawaii obviously is made up of islands, so it's very vulnerable to rising sea levels. Not just that one highway, but I would imagine many parts of the Hawaii DOT transportation system, including ports and airports, are potentially impacted. Are there other elements you're looking at to make Hawaii DOT more resilient when it comes to sea level rise? Absolutely. Uh, for us, when we start looking at our just our highway system, about 15 to 20% of the system will be impacted by sea level rise in the future, either by the rise of the ocean or the corresponding groundwater level rise um, inland. So understanding that, it's looking, we're looking at about a cost of about $15 billion to make sure we address the system if we were just looking at relocation of the roadways. If we look at our harbors, they're in inundation zones, and in general, they've got to be lifted by six feet or relocated to ensure that they're not inundated in the future. Same thing with our airport. We have runways that are in jeopardy of getting inundated by sea level rise in the future. So it's a big number that we're looking at. We're looking at making sure that we tie the transportation system together with land use to ensure that we understand where we need to be um, in the future. Then we can start looking at the expenditures that we need. But for us, though, to make sure that we're more resilient as we go forward, we have to bring it back to the operation side, make sure that we're operating as efficiently as possible, ensuring that we're not to the core of the, the organization itself, we're not managing in the 18th century. We're trying to get our people out, away from managing from the whole butts in the seat type of mentality and ensuring we're looking at people's productivity. And that was key to ensuring that we could move forward with teleworking. We're looking at, at not just putting physical infrastructure in the ground anymore. We're looking at how we can do things better from a technology perspective. Um, increasing our capacity or reducing our congestion on our system with ITS rather than just new pavement or new roads or new bridges. Looking at trying to expand our thought processes to ensure that we start looking at how we can affect our resiliency by using better materials. Instead of going through the whole uh, operation of repaving every seven years because we use poor materials in our system, improving the materials that we put in on the front end spending a little more money on the front end to ensure that we don't have to keep doing it over and over throughout the years, looking at reducing our carbon footprint, looking at using better materials from the concrete side. We're carbonizing concrete now so we can entrain CO2, decrease the cement that we use in our concrete 
to further reduce our CO2 emissions uh, throughout our system. So trying to green our operations um, as much as possible. We're converting our fleet over to electric vehicles to ensure that we minimize that as well, and hopefully incentivize the public to start converting over to electric vehicles. For us, when we convert to electric, we're not just converting our vehicles, we're putting in a charging station infrastructure throughout, hopefully helping the public to get rid of that range anxiety, knowing that they have charging stations throughout the state. So we know that we cannot stop sea level rise overall, but we can start making sure that we stop contributing to those things that, that lead to it. So hopefully in the long term, making us more resilient, not only by our actions in the field, but our thought processes and operations in the back office. Expanding this beyond Hawaii, back in August 2019, you were appointed chair of AASHTO's Committee on Transportation System Security and Resilience. Tell us about some of its priorities in addressing the issue of resiliency. It's an amazing committee with absolutely committed people that are in it. Um, the people that we, we have on the committee range from project engineers to emergency management professionals to planners. And in general, if you look at the scope of that committee, it's broad between the whole safety um, and resiliency side. It's a great committee balanced off on how we respond or prepare for and respond to disasters. Uh, definitely, there's a component of emergency management um, and definitely absolutely needed right now to make sure that we can maximize our um, response and minimize um, any impacts to the public. Also, a component of it is the planners up front and the engineers up front. We're looking at how we can make sure that we adapt to situations now to minimize the impacts in the future. One of the, the big focuses of that group is to ensure that we build resiliency into operations. Knowing that we like to live in this world that we can plan, design, construct, measure, maintain, and go back to that different that cycle over and over again. We love to live in that world because it's dependable. It's easy to see. We can plan things out accordingly. Fully understanding, though, that in that cycle, every once in a while, there's a disruptor. There's an emergency event that requires us to change our operation and respond. We want to make sure that we start bringing that information from that response back out to that normal cycle to ensure that we learn from each event, we plan for it um, in our normal operations, we put things into place to ensure that we don't have to worry about that event in the future to the extent possible. That was the focus. Now the focus is understanding that we have science that we can depend on right now. We understand what's going to happen in the future. We build into our operations now how we can adapt for those future events that are coming up. The difficult portion of that, though, is understanding that there's going to be trade-offs when we start looking at the money perspective. I was talking to a, a really good friend in Missouri who was saying that when we start looking at the storms that occurred, the flooding that occurred in Missouri, they're now questioning whether that 100-year storm that they designed for is sufficient. Now they're looking at potentially designing for a 500-year storm. And we're looking at the same thing in Hawaii. We've got to look at whether our standards are substandard now compared to the events that are occurring more, more frequently with more extreme events. When we start looking at that, though, we start seeing that there's a trade-off on the funding that we have, the priorities that we have, and the preparation for the future. So that's where the rubber meets the road. We got to see really how we prioritize things to ensure that we understand how much of a priority it is for us to respond to these events going to occur 50 years from now. One of the biggest difficulties, I think, for all of the DOTs is to be able to show that that big, hairy monster that's 50 years down the road is actually a priority for us to address now. We all know how to respond to emergencies. We all know 
when there's a pothole in the road or when there's a bridge that's out, we know how to respond to that right away because there's impacts right in front of us. But when we start seeing that, when we start planning for addressing that, that monster that's 50 years down the road, we got to bring it up front and center now. Show everybody what it's going to look like now to ensure that everybody's focused on addressing that emergency, even though it's not one yet. Well, that's going to wrap things up on this edition of the Ashto ETAP podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Ed Sniffen, the Deputy Director of the Highway Division of Hawaii DOT. Ed, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. No, thank you, Bernie. 